Welcome to the Golf Week Raider podcast. My name is Jay Blasey. I'm a golf designer and a contributing writer for Golf Week magazine. And today we're going to be talking to Dirk Willis from the Kohler Company regarding the upcoming Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. Without further ado, here's Dirk Willis. Been with Kohler Company for quite a while. Um, I, I grew up in the state of Wisconsin and obviously was familiar with uh, uh, Black Wolf Run and the Kohler properties as I was growing up uh, and uh, actually came to work at Black Wolf Run. Uh, the first golf course property that Kohler Company built in the mid-1990s, right out of college. So it was uh, one of my first jobs in the golf business, uh, working for the Kohler Company. Um, and uh, I, I've kind of grown with the business as we uh, began to host championships and began to grow as a resort and uh, develop uh, our golf empire by adding Whistling Straits and in our property overseas in, in Scotland. I, I stayed with the company through a variety of different positions. Uh, Started as an assistant golf professional, as I said, uh, working uh, in lodging during the winters when uh, golf wasn't, uh, uh, golf courses weren't open. And then uh, was fortunate to be, na- to be named head professional right before our first uh, PJ Championship in 2004 at Whistling Straits. I was named head professional the year before and uh, just continued to grow with the company. Uh, so in total, uh, I've been with the company uh, in two different stints uh, for about 27 years. And and uh, been a part of every uh, major championship that, that we've hosted. And and uh, that's really why I'm here is because of what we do with major championships. Well, uh, to that end, you know, this has to be one that's unlike the others. The Ryder Cup is its own unique entity to begin mm-hmm. with. But to think about uh, years and years of planning that go into staging the 2020 Ryder Cup, uh, yeah. walk us through kind of how far you got along and then and then pulling the plug or, or, or you know pushing it a year what was all that like well you know it uh in the end it was for definitely for the best obviously uh it was the right thing not only uh for us but for the event uh, to postpone it um because really the Ryder cup is not the Ryder cup without the fans and and i think it, it was uh, collectively, uh, ourselves, along with the PG of America, um, uh, and all the major constituencies that were involved in, in organizing the event, wanted to make sure fans were uh, uh, part of that equation. So, you know, when it, when the pandemic hit, uh, we we're obviously very well along in those preparations. We had not started construction on the golf course yet, though, as far as uh, the temporary construction that has to go into uh, all the uh, hospitality areas. <clears throat> and we held off on that start of construction as long as we could until we were sure that uh, that uh, we could either execute the event in 2020 or we would have to postpone. So fortunately, we didn't get too far down the road with that. Uh, we were able to, able to make that the decision before we actually had to start build. Um, uh, you know, with the postponement, it other things uh, really came in, were factored into that. You know, there was the fear that we'd have lost ticket sales and lost uh, corporate hospitality sales. The reality uh, of, the actuality of what happened though is that, uh, uh, the fans, the ticket holders, and the corporate hospitality patrons all stuck by us and, and believed in in uh, the 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 event and were uh, open to the postponement. So we really didn't have a huge uphill battle uh, after the postponement in in making sure that uh, uh, we we had a well attended event. So um, 
it's kind of a best case scenario, I think, uh, as far as where we're going to be end up here um, uh, in a couple weeks. Here, uh, we're going to have a fully attended event, and I think uh, it's going to be in the true spirit of what a Ryder Cup should be. So we're very excited about that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Can't even fathom the idea of a writer. Right. Fan. So great to do that. Uh, you and your team probably had to make some phone calls to people and letting them know that they had booked a, a lodging or a round of yeah. golf and say, hey, we we need to bump you. That had to be fun. But uh, we're all the beneficiaries yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, how you know how big is a Ryder Cup? Uh, you probably can't give out specific details, but you know, on, on in in general, you know, how many people attend a Ryder Cup, and is it the same throughout the whole week, or does it vary yeah. depending on the day? Well, I I can say I look at the the size of the Ryder Cup in a, in a few different ways from from the just the sheer um, uh, PR value and the engine media engine that's behind it. There's no bigger event in golf period i mean uh all due respect to the masters and the other majors uh the Ryder cup from a pure uh uh universal global perspective is is i think the most special event in the game of golf we, when you get down to the granular level of the operations itself um spectators it's it's you got to remember it's a different event than a full field event there's a limited field so the spectator attendance will be similar to any PGA championship or any major championship that you would, that you would see. The difference is how those people move around on, on your facility and through the, through the areas because they're all clustered. So it's going to seem, uh, it can seem uh, like there's a lot more people than there may, may be at a PGA championship just because they also seem to be in smaller locations. So we've had to work very hard from a logistics standpoint to, to make sure and work with the PGA to make sure that we can handle that those massive amounts of people being in smaller areas and doing it safely in, in the COVID era that, uh, that we're living in right now. And we, that's, that's been the biggest challenge for us. But uh, from a pure size standpoint, um, as far as the build out and, and what's being built to accommodate these, the spectators, it's about two and a half times the size of a standard PGA championship or a U.S. Open. I think a good, uh, a good sort of stat is that uh, in a typical PGA championship, you'd have about 500 to 600,000 square feet of temporary flooring for all the tents and all the, all the activation areas. Um, a Ryder cup is about 1.4 million. So it's more than two and a half times the size, just the sheer footprint of it is immense. I think our merchandise pavilion for this event is the biggest the PGA has ever built at 60,000 square feet. That's basically the size of a USA football field end zone, end of end zone, to end of end zone, sideline to sideline. It's 60,000 square feet. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. An acre and a half. I think the biggest they had ever built before for any other event was 40,000. So it's one and a half times bigger than anything they've ever built. So it's, it's big. <laughs> to you say you the mentioned, least. you know, bigger than a PGA championship. Uh, you guys have obviously had the good fortune of hosting the PGA championship in mm -hmm. 2004, 2010, 2015, what do you what do you learn through those events? Uh, I'm I'm imagine I assume that mm -hmm. after the 2004 event that you and your team work with the PGA of America yep. to to do a do a post mortem and, and decide what worked well, what didn't work well, and and make refinements to circulation or right. grandstands and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, are there more grandstands for, for a Ryder Cup than there are for a PGA? Or, or is it strictly kind of on the on the tent and hospitality side? Yeah, so um, you're right. As we do each event, we reassess after every event what worked, what didn't work, and we adjust. And, and we've had a very good relationship with Kerry Haig and the PGA tournament operations team after each event, uh, making those little tweaks. So we've arrived here at the Ryder Cup kind of tweaking all those elements, whether it be moving corporate hospitality areas to one area of the property to another to accommodate different footprints or spectator flow. Uh, we've worked very hard last year from a spectator flow standpoint with Kerry and his team to make sure that we're widening corridors through the dunes to make sure that uh, we don't have uh, any pinch points. Um, so we, we do all of that uh, to a great deal. As far as um, you know, the number of grandstands, again, uh, the Ryder Cup is a different event being a limited field event. So the more that we can get people sitting and staying in one location, the better it is for, for overall spectator flow. So we do uh, augment uh, the grandstand. As far as the number of grandstands, it's actually similar to what it would be in a PJ Championship for the actual seated grandstands, but we've also added a uh, considerable more number, uh, greater number of viewing platforms where it's standing room only or it's viewing platforms off of different hospitality areas so that hospitality guests don't necessarily have to go outside of their little tented area um, to actually view golf outside. There's, there's uh, more substantial viewing platforms uh, in the hospitality areas uh, as, as well. I mean, I think all told, you're going to, we're going to end up with around, uh, I think it's around eight to 9,000 seated grandstands. But then when you add in those additional elements like the viewing, viewing platforms, I think you have, you have, uh, uh, a, you have uh, grandstand areas that are right around 13 or 14,000 people, but then you got all the additional uh, areas that uh, aren't necessarily build out areas, natural amphitheaters. That's one advantage that we do have a, over or say a Hazeltine or some other uh, facilities that would host this event is that the dunes create natural amphitheaters and you don't necessarily need grandstands because you got people sitting on the sides of the dunes as well. So, um, you know, it, Overall seating is, I would say, slightly higher than what you would see for a PGA championship, just because we want to keep people uh, in one location longer. You know, the event's going to be played at the end of September. Mm -hmm. How long? Uh, how long ago did you start building out hospitality tents and grandstands, and and uh, when does all this stuff start to go into place? It's got to be so, your undertaking. So it started at the end of May of this year uh, with um, the initial start of the build out and it will go, it's basically 24 seven right until they open the gates uh, on Tuesday morning of next week. And then once, uh, once the uh, closing uh, trophy ceremony is done, it'll literally start to be deconstructed that Sunday night of the Ryder cup. Um, it will probably go, uh, into uh, well into November, uh, I would guess Thanksgiving will be the uh, around the timeline of where everything will be off the golf course and off the property. Um, and the logistics of getting it off the golf course are just uh, just as challenging as uh, getting it on the golf course and prioritizing what comes off uh, 
off the off of the property first. Anything that uh, right now is impeding our normal guest and 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 member play uh, are going to be key areas that we will you know try to get uh, that those areas taken care of and, and cleaned up first, and then we'll move uh, gradually move off of the golf course and into uh, the entry area uh, of the non-golfing areas. And uh, you know. You you help oversee a major operation. You've got you know four championship golf courses. You just <laughs> opened uh, the Baths, a, mm -hmm. a great uh, short course offering there. How does the uh, overall Kohler operation uh, function through a Ryder Cup week? Will will those other courses be open? Are those uh, sold out to corporate guests? Uh, mm -hmm. How do you and your staff handle? normal operations at the overall resort <laughs> while the Ryder Cup is taking place on the Whistling Straits property. Well, um, Black Wolf Run, the properties there, uh, the golf course is there, the Meadow Valley River and the Baths will be open. And the play there will be a mix. Uh, yes, there'll be some corporate uh, hospitality over there from some of the corporate patrons of the Ryder Cup. There'll be some special Ryder Cup spe uh, specific events with some um, with some different matches and, and events going on with some uh, uh, special VIP clientele of the Ryder Cup. But then there'll be a mix of uh, public play as well. So um, there'll be still be tee times available for available for the general public on all three of the courses, including the short course over there throughout the week. Um, you know, so from a staffing standpoint, uh, the Whistling Straits staff is pretty much all uh, allocated to the event itself of all of our golf professionals and some of our key staff all have uh, tournament assignments during that week uh, in tournament operations, as well do some of our golf professional staff at Black Wolf Run will get pulled over for some of those areas as well. But um, certainly our operation is uh, still open at Black Wolf Run and will we'll operate uh, in somewhat of a, a normal fashion. Um, the rest of the resort, as far as the hotels and, and, and those uh, parts of the resort are all allocated to the event. So it's VIP access only uh, at the hotels. Um, uh, we do have some additional events going on at uh, the shops at Woodlake, are, are one of our shopping plazas uh, that the resort owns in the village of Kohler. Uh, there'll be a, a watch party for the Ryder Cup during the matches and, and some activities going on and activations going on in the village itself uh, for the general public that doesn't have tickets. So there'll be a a lot of things going on, not just uh, at the Ryder Cup uh, at Whistling Straits, but in the village at Black Wolf Run, uh, we will have activities for, for people that don't necessarily have a chance to get out there and be on the grounds itself. One of the things that uh, viewers often hear about uh, when it relates to the Ryder Cup is that you hear a lot about the team room, right? Yep. And, uh, teams <laughs> hanging out and playing things yep. along and all the stuff that goes on in the team rooms. Uh, my understanding is that uh, at Whistling Straits, uh, you guys have actually taken a step of, of crafting a, a special team rooms that may serve as locker rooms during your other PGAs or whatnot. But mm -hmm. walk, us, walk us through what those facilities are like and, and uh, if you've heard any good stories about what might be happening in those team rooms. 
Well, I, I, I would, I will say this, the build out and the preparations, uh, in the team rooms is pretty impressive. Uh, like you said, they've got all sorts of different games and, and different activities and, and things to make the players comfortable. And, and, and it really is, is revolves around them really gelling and being together and, and socializing as a team to, to really, uh, sort of build a, a team, uh, atmosphere and a team bond. Um, if you're familiar with our facilities at Whistling Straits, we basically have three uh, three different buildings uh, up around the clubhouse. The the property is kind of built to resemble an old Irish farmstead. So you got the main clubhouse, and then you got the two what I'd call outbuildings: uh, the Irish barn uh, and our uh, champions locker room, which is is an additional building. Uh, the team room for uh, for Team USA will be the main clubhouse building itself, uh, the two-story stone building. Uh, they'll take up that entire clubhouse with a variety of uh, different rooms, uh, meeting rooms, as well as uh, lounging rooms, as well as game rooms, and uh, uh, basically a little sports bar pub uh, that we will uh, create in there for for dining. They'll also Team USA will also have. Uh, an outside stone terrace directly adjacent to that clubhouse as part of their team room. And then Team Europe will take over uh, a combination of the Irish barn, another uh, outside stone terrace, as well as the champion's locker room. And they came in and basically, uh, you wouldn't, if you're walking through those two buildings now, you wouldn't even know that they were separate buildings uh, normally because they built a, a continuous sort of walkway and uh, connection between the two temporarily. So it feels like one contiguous space. It's really, it's really impressive. And they did it within the matter of the last two weeks. So it's been uh pretty interesting and fun to watch watch that build out i would imagine you and your staff are probably wondering uh if you'd like to keep the clubhouse set up like the uh team us <laughs> well i think for our own personal uh, for our own personal <laughs> entertainment we might want to do that <laughs> but yeah uh, it, it's interesting that how they come in they're able to come in and make those changes so quickly and then uh a week after the event will look like it did it does normally how do you, how do you get to spend your time during the week? What uh, what's what's your role during the week? Every event is different, but in a in a way they're the same. So you got typically any major event like this. Um, um, for myself, it it comes goes in two waves. You got the initial first day that the the gates open, uh, which is the first practice round day where there's a lot of firefighting and and then uh, and you make operational adjustments, and then the next couple days of 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 uh, practice rounds go pretty smoothly and then it kind of starts all over once the actual event and uh begins and, and the score scores are being kept so you kind of go through that same process we'll go through that same process on friday once the matches start again but um as far as my day-to-day -day, you know I, I i'll get there uh, about the same time that the grounds crew gets there um uh right around dawn um just make sure uh, I got all my ducks in a row. I, I do have some media uh, things that I have to do throughout the week, and I do have to um, do some things with our chairman, uh, Mr. Kohler, uh, make sure that uh, his his uh, his schedule is pretty full, so I make sure that he's getting to where he needs to be and that I'm available uh, as a backup for whatever he needs. And then from an operational standpoint, um, you know, it's just making sure I hit each of the areas that are fall under my responsibility from an event standpoint, uh, and, and making sure that uh, that uh, operations are going smoothly. 
we're very lucky uh, at Kohler Golf to have a, a, a very strong crew of uh, not only golf professionals, but volunteers who have been a part of most of our major championships. And they have significant tournament experience and tournament operations experience. And uh, they're experts in, in the areas that they oversee. So um, I'm very fortunate in that regard that uh, when there are any issues, um, they're going to be taken care of pretty swiftly. And, and it's just, for me, it's just a matter of uh, making sure that all those uh, T's are crossed and those I's are dotted. And, and, uh, and that's what I do throughout the week is just making sure operationally those people have what they need to, to get things done. Uh, this event's a little bit different uh, in that obviously it's a team event and there's a lot more security around the teams and, and privacy around the teams. In a typical PGA Championship, part of my team would be working directly with the players in their player hospitality areas. Um, our team has kind of been taken out of that just from a COVID uh a bubble standpoint, as well as just the security around the team rooms. Those are private areas now. So that's the one area in a past championship where maybe me and my team would have been pretty involved with the players. We're not nearly as involved in a face-to-face -face, uh, situation with the players as we were in the past. Well, let's get, let's get to the golf a little bit and mm -hmm. the golf course. Um, you know, obviously many, many viewers will be somewhat familiar with whistling straights mm -hmm. here played it or seen it at other championships, but if you could maybe walk us through what you think will be some of the exciting holes, you know, match play is a different right. than stroke play. And uh, what do you think might be some, some fun holes for viewers to watch or pay attention to from a match play standpoint? Right. Yeah. I think uh, the straights, if you were to ask me, you know, the ideal course to play match play or to play the Ryder cup on, I think, I think the, the whistling straights is one of the, most ideal courses you could have for an event like this because there's kind of drama around every corner there's an opportunity to make birdies and there's an opportunity to make a big number too if you don't execute well um and you know this for this event it'll be set up a little bit differently uh our teams worked with captain stricker on on how he wants to set the, the course up and it will be set up a little bit differently than it was uh, for the PJ Championships. I can't go into the details of that, but I think for those of uh, your viewers that are familiar with our golf course, once they see it on TV during the Ryder Cup, they'll notice some little differences from what maybe they've experienced when they played it or what or what uh, they've seen with the PJ Championships. One thing I can tell you is that it will play as a par 71, not as a this is the normal par 72. Um, one hole that I think is going to add a lot of drama, uh, number 11, is normally a par five is going to be played as a long par four. Instead, it's going to be played instead of being played at 600 yards, it's going to be played at about between 480 and 520. And um, that hole in particular, I think it could add a lot of drama depending on the weather conditions and what the matchups are on a day-to-day -day basis. If you got the wind on that hole into you on that hole and you've got a long hitter playing against maybe an average length hitter, you could be see a huge disparity in, in how they play and execute that hole. The longer hitters might be able to carry into a, a down swale and get a good bit of run out even into the, into the wind, end up 
still with maybe a, a wedge into it, whereas the shorter average hitter maybe will be hitting three iron or four iron into that hole on the in the exact same match. So that's one hole I think that could add a lot of drama depending on the wind conditions. Um, you know, on the front nine, uh, you know, you've got the two par threes right on right on the lake uh, are always they've they're just visually intimidated and they add a lot of drama depending on the wind conditions there. Uh, you could see, you could see a big number pretty quick on one of those two par threes. Then you get on the back nine and really, uh, you know, the show really starts on, uh, on hole 15 when you got that long par four, 520 yards, uh, going straight out the lake. Um, and then 16, you've got a reachable par five that, uh, guys could be going for it and you'll see maybe see a lot of eagles on that one if if someone hits a good shot then 17 and 18 those two are a war of attrition coming in you know two of the hardest holes on the golf course coming in you got a long par three that requires a, a high draw uh and then you've got a long par four that uh, pretty much everyone's going to be hitting mid to long iron into uh on that hole at, at the very least so um yeah i'd say 11 and then the finishing stretch of par of the last four holes, and then uh, the par threes on the front are going to be the the holes that really uh, draw a lot of drama and a lot of attention to them. What about those for uh, coming to attend the event? Uh, obviously, you know, there's great views all around on right. the front and the back nine. There's some neat spots. Uh, any any uh, recommendations for for maybe a first time visitor? Mm -hmm. What might be a good spot to go? hang out and, and watch some golf. Well, there's, there's a lot of good spots. And, and I think your comment about uh, going to a spot and hanging out is very, very important. Um, the Ryder cup in my experience, is, is not a great event. If you're trying to follow play uh, and, and follow a player, what you want to do is you want to go ahead of play to a spot that's got great views. Um, and, and the PG of America and, and the tournament organ the event organizers know this and they set it up for exactly that type of viewing. They, they want you to sit there, enjoy yourselves and get there before play. There's jumbotrons all over the property on the golf course. So you can watch the play as it's approaching. And then you've got solid play in front of you for a good hour to two hours uh, of groups coming through. Um, and that's the way you want to view it, whether no matter where you're at in the golf course. So at Whistling Straits, I'd say some of the key areas, obviously, number one, uh, getting there and trying to get into uh, the grandstands or around number one uh, for the tee off of all the matches. That's going to be a very exciting uh, sort of natural amphitheater. You got the bleachers surround the huge bleachers and grandstands surrounding number one tee. But then you got hospitality and viewing locations literally going down each side of the fairway and wrapping around the green. It's going to be, I would expect you're going to get uh, upwards of 30,000 people around that one hole at any one time, just trying to see uh, the play on number one. Then once you get out on the golf course, one of the key areas on the front nine, I think that is really, really cool. Any of the par threes are going to be good because they have natural sort of dunes amphitheaters around them. But if there's a bleacher, uh, a grandstand on behind uh, number six green, which is a par short par four. But if you get in the top of that bleacher, then you've got basically a 360 degree view, basically looking back behind you down number two. 
uh, over to number three, a par three on the lake, all the way down six. And then you can see glimpses of, of number seven, uh, number eight, and number four. It's just you're so high that uh, if you got binoculars, literally you could sit there and just turn around in, in a 360 view and see golf all day long. Then once you get on the back nine, um, again, 17. Uh, great theater around 17 and that long par three. Um, same thing with number 12, another par three uh, out in the north end of the property. Uh, great viewing there as well. And then nine and 18, the natural amphitheater around nine and 18 with all the grandstands. Um, you can sit in nine grandstand and you can watch watch uh, play coming through not only nine, but also coming down 18 as well. So uh, a lot of great viewing and vantage points just with the, with the topography and the way the uh, the dunes work and also with where the grandstands are, where you can see vantage points of several holes at one time. And as we all know, Wisconsin's the greatest state in the country. Yep. Uh, are you, uh, you going to be able to, to share uh, a bit of Wisconsin with those who come to attend? How are you, how are you going to show off uh, all that's great about Wisconsin? You got some special food offerings or merchandise that uh, people can take advantage of? Well, we'll have brats, <laughs> number one, um, brats and spotted cow. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll have our, we're, we're, we'll probably have our own uh, Cola Original Recipe chocolates uh, also available somewhere on the property during the week. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, some special entertainment, uh, not only, um, and I can't really talk about who it is, it's, it's still a secret, but special entertainment, not only in the village of Kohler, um, during, uh, the, the celebrations in the village, but also on the main, uh, opening ceremony stage, uh, throughout the week as well on the, on the tournament grounds. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm not sure you'll want to go on the record, but we're going to put you on the spot. You got any, uh, any predictions for how this thing's going to unfold? Um, I would say, and, and I have been involved in this, so I, I, I know how the course is set up. I, I would say that Captain Stricker has done his best to make this a fair contest for for the American team uh, to come out and prevail. And I would say he's picked a very good team. He specifically selected the team he did for the way he set up the golf course. And if those two things can gel, I don't think uh, they can be beat. Um, it would take something special by the European team to, to beat them. Now, so that, that's my hope, and, and that's what I see. But, uh, you know, it's, it is golf, and, and anything can happen in, in a couple days with the best players in the world. So, but I, I, I would see uh, the U.S. coming out on top um, probably. Um, I'd go out and live and say 16 to 12 they win. Very good. Well, Dirk Willis, thank you so much for taking some time out and sharing a little bit of the background of what goes into uh, staging the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. Uh, we're all uh, super excited about it. Congratulations to you and your team on all the, the work to get to this point. I know you're on the one-yard line, so time yep. to punch it in and uh, get a touchdown, and uh, we look forward to, to a great a great week. All right. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.